Hello and a very warm welcome to what promises to be an absolute blockbuster episode of the Get Football Tactics podcast. As always, I'm your host Neil Shailath, and I am truly delighted to say that I have been joined by Varun Vasudevan. Good morning, afternoon, whatever. <laughs> Good day, Varun. How are you doing? You know how I'm doing. I stayed up <laughs> till 4 a.m. to watch Newcastle versus United. Then I had to get up at 7 a.m. to run an errand. Then I caught up. on an hour sleep and now i'm coming here to talk about the one thing that will help me get over the horrible game that i saw last uh, last night and sounds a like poor planning to be honest yeah <laughs> uh, yeah and who who's, who's sounds who's responsible for that yeah whose whose idea was it to do a united episode i do wonder yeah <laughs> whose anyway. idea the, the guy who loves putting people in torture and <laughs> that brings us to our next guest yes <laughs> that yes the other person you heard there is alex barker who is Sure to have probably one of the most enjoyable podcasts of his life. See, you say that there, but this whole time I can hear the smile on your face. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I listen, listen. We both yeah, are. You're not hiding most, it either. Yeah, we both are going to have the most enjoyable episode of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm in a very good mood. Yes, lovely stuff. Nothing, nothing makes you happier than Manchester United being bad. Well, I mean, I'll clarify. I've got no agenda against Manchester United. You know, I prefer it if they do well, like every football team. It's just the fact that nearly all the people on our timeline support Manchester United, and it's very, very funny watching them be like the worst team in the league in the funniest way possible. So that that that's why me and Neil here are absolutely loving uh, this because of the. The, the the hate it brings our friends like Barry. exactly exactly nailed it there so well let's let's dive straight into our episode um I don't think we need to set a lot of context yeah Manchester United are obviously everywhere in the news everyone knows what they're doing they're as we record this which is right after the Newcastle United game they are probably going to go out of the Champions League in their group or certainly it is not in their hands. Uh, so it's been far from uh, a good campaign for them there and in the league they are all the way down in 7th place uh, already 9 points of the top and more so than their results their performances this season have been uh, they have been quite something to watch very entertaining for neutral not very entertaining for their fans as i'm sure varun would say so the the big talking point right now obviously is what manchester united should do especially with regards to their manager eric ten hag should they should they stay with him should they sack him what should they do and obviously where do they go from here because at the end of last season it seemed that you know they turned the corner that they were heading in the right direction and this season it is 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 all gone back to where they were uh, i think when this episode will go out it will be about 3 uh, days to the day that will mark 10 years since david moyes's famous quote that manchester united need to improve in a number of areas including what passing build up and defense or something um so it'll be a whole decade and that's exactly what they still need to improve on as we'll discuss so certainly we have many questions worth answering but before we dive into what united are doing this season which will certainly take quite a bit of our time uh, let's just quickly take a step back and assess both them uh, and Eric Ten Hag in a bit of a broader context so alex why don't we begin by just briefly discussing and reminding ourselves really of eric ten hag's ajax because they didn't play like united are playing right now surely they did not know but they weren't 
they didn't play in a way that I think a lot of people uh, thought of. He he kind of got typecast as the sort of the very typical Dutch coach, the four three three. But Ten Hag, depending on the game, was a little more pragmatic than that. And I think it's worth reminding ourselves as well of the players he had at his disposal. Um, I think that's more pressing than ever because you know Eric Ten Hag at Ajax, like in his final years. Had Sebastian Aller, Dusan, uh, Dusan Tardic, uh, David Neres as well, Ryan Gravenberch coming through, uh, Lissandra Martinez, <laughs> lots of players Man United have now. But it's such a, a quality overhaul on the on the league. So I think it was a lot easier to win at Ajax. But yeah, they, they sometimes play like a 4-2-3-1. And they feel like players like Edson Alvarez, who's now like a West Ham. Again, when you're really dominant, you can get away fielding players. But it wasn't just about fielding. But he's Ten Hag's Ajax side wasn't about fielding. You know, the most stereotypical Dutch players uh, who can just dominate possession, and that's what they want to do. It was a lot more, a lot more different than that. And with those caveats, I said like a quality difference. Like I guess is. What we're seeing right now at Manchester United, uh, maybe you guys can jump in here. Maybe it is less surprising, uh, like c- if considering uh, what you actually was like in the Netherlands. Uh, Neil, I'm assuming you've watched a lot of them as well, and Varun before he arrived. Do you kind of concur, or would you expand on that? Yeah, I think it's a it's it's a difficult one to answer because we've clearly seen Ten Hag himself state that. United were never going to play like his Ajax side, or at least he never wanted them to play that way. Um, and I guess, you know, as we'll, we'll delve into our discussion further, I think there will be a point where we have to assess whether what Ten Hag wants United to play like even is is the right approach. And, you know, there's various quotes about that, that he's uh, said in that respect as well. So, yeah, I suppose that's uh, an interesting question to keep in mind as well. But yeah, I think the, the main takeaway, I suppose, is that as you say, he wasn't the typical Dutch manager. He was far more pragmatic um, than maybe people even give him credit for. But right now, that's almost maybe even backfiring on him. But let's let's put him aside for a second. Let's also quickly um, look at Manchester United. So, Varun, uh, why don't you tell me why your football team has not been good uh, for the last 10 years? Give or take. I mean that that'll require a lot more time, but um, I'm going to give you one and a half minute. <laughs> no, I mean, see, if a <laughs> hundred seconds to sum up a decade, okay? Your I'm starts... starting now. Now, okay, for the decade, the answer is pretty simple: a huge, huge lack of direction from the top. I mean, before we get into Tenag, and we will in this episode, the one thing that is very, very obvious and common is. Multiple times, managers have come randomly. They have just been picked because of their brand, because someone suggested them or because they were famous or available. And the players who have come have also come because of their brand, because someone suggested them, because they were famous and available. And that has been the recruitment policy for managers, coaches, players for 10 years. And it's just been a bit of a, oh, we'll just get good people together and good stuff will happen. And this kind of random mishmash has led to no no philosophy from the top, no structure, no way to play. And the answer lots of times has been just, you know, pay a little more in terms of fees or wages to get that quality. 
So you have a bloated mishmash squad and every manager who comes in now has a huge massive rebuild. We keep hearing he has to rebuild, he has to get his players because the previous players don't suit him and what he wants is something else. So you're constantly stuck in these two, three year cycles where a manager is like, I have to, you know, change the whole thing and then he's not getting the right signings and then everything is a bit of a mishmash and we still haven't had one season where a manager has played what they wanted to. Um... And it was all aligned from the top. Uh, board, manager, players, all aligned to one gameplay. That has still not happened in 10 years. I think that is a big problem at Manchester United. Beautiful. Right in time. Night. Next question. Uh, what happened from last year to this? Because last year, uh, I hate to say it, it almost looked like you were going in the right direction. Yeah. So here I'll take a bit more time. Uh, I also want to join in from what you guys spoke about Ajax. So... I mean, blank slate. If I had to explain the kind of things Ten Hag likes, he does like short build-up in his half when possible. There's a caveat to everything. He does like that short build-up to bait the opponents. He does then like to generate artificial transitions, a bit of high tempo in the final third. It was never very slow. Even Ajax had that tempo increase once they beat the initial press and they go a little direct. He did enjoy a high press or a counter press to steal the ball high in areas and again quickly transition or counter. And largely a very attacking 3-1-6 shape. Once all the build-up is done in the opponent half, a 3-1-6 shape. These were his ideal 11 or plan A kind of 3-4 things that were common at Ajax. And at United last season, I would say we were good at the attacking transitions part. That is pretty good. Bruno Rashford on the transition was a threat. That's how we got any of the goals we got. We were very inconsistent in the build-up and in the high press. There were mixed results. Usually against weak teams, we would build up a bit, dominate a bit like Brentford or Palace. We would manage a bit more. In many other games, like I remember the Barcelona game, we were just booting it long. I mean, Barcelona's high press was too much. And same for Liverpool. All the, I mean, we've all seen the stats against top teams. We've been horrendous and because we have had no control. And the rest defense also was pretty average. And Casemiro was very uh, instrumental last year in papering over those cracks, winning the ball a lot in midfield. So that was last year. And everyone, me or any good Manchester United fan or even a neutral would agree that, okay, cool, good for first year. There were a lot of issues, squad issues. Ronaldo was there, De Gea was there. Uh, none of his players, we started badly. So to recover, come third, win a cup... Pretty good for year one. No one had a problem. And everyone assumes summer, these gaps, the build-up gap, the pressing gap, will be covered with three, four players. We'll play higher. We'll control the ball more. So our short build-up will be better. And the thing that we're doing where we build up short, bait the opponents, and then hit the tra on transitions, that will be a lot more consistent against good teams as well. We'll take that step up. That has not happened. That has not happened. And genuinely, now that we have evidence of 20-25 games, I would say that Ten Hag has gone in a very different direction. He has not wanted to increase the short build-up. He has actually put too many eggs in the basket of the counter-press or the transition part. I think he's kind of told himself this team is really good for transition and it's only good for transition probably. And he's almost gone in a very Red Bull kind of system way, you know, the RB Leipzig teams or the Leeds United way, or maybe 
in a very very ideal way maybe the club liverpool way the more direct approach uh, keep pumping direct balls and then high press counter press steal and transition quickly he's gone in that direction and from day one from the first game wolves second game spurs then arsenal to these last three four games it's been bad and it's been bad and the execution has been bad but even if you see ideally what ten hag is wanting to do it's not really wanting to build up shot keep the ball in our half he he is not wanting to do those things tactically you know id ideal 11 wise itself uh, there's been a very very big approach on directness and if we go to the tran- uh, transfers onana coming in uh, at this point you don't know because onana is very good at shot build up we've seen him at inter we've seen him in, in at ajax but he's also decent at uh, long balls as well you you saw he was going direct to zeko lukaku last year so he can do both so we didn't know then came hoyland and again a very good player in terms of he can do a bit of both he has that he can drop deep link up and you know make those short moments he can also do a bit of the long carries and transitions or a bit of hold up like a target man we didn't know mount was i think the first signings of okay this is not a controller we thought we'll go more towards the control side with ericsson um the the thing ericsson was trying to do the same thing where ericsson drops deep and helps build up play and uh, upgrade on ericsson who is a more of a controller and who can also maybe press a bit and be a bit better defensively but mount kind of skewed towards the directness the high press the counter press approach he is a really really good player if you want that extra number 10 pressing and transitioning and i think that was the first sign of wait a minute we are not going the more control way we are going the more counter press way and i think at this point i'll pause because i know alex has something to say about mount yeah and uh, to be honest out of all the, i've listened to a lot of people talk about manchester united this year and mason mount and i genuinely think that's the best description anyone's given of him uh, i very much mean that i listen to the devil's dna podcast with uh, aaron and case and uh, i'm a big fan of that pod but one thing i've always disagreed with you mean the, the devils in the details podcast the, the details sorry <laughs> sorry you got you, it's because there's too He's many your head. there's too many <laughs> devils in there's devils in the detail devils in the details devils in dinner the, those are three different things yeah, is this too many um anyway anyway with aaron and uh case though i have always disagreed with their line on mount which is he's a he's a very very good player uh when he when he arrived as like he's been very good early performance is very good i don't understand why ten hog isn't playing him uh person i think you've explained it very well where he he leans more to directness and at chelsea uh and I, I this i think this would be more unpopular because it I, you only see this from people uh you tend to mainly see this from people who you tend to like you'd write off as being like oh they're idiots because they hate them out but at chelsea he was nowhere near as good as the no not knowing it he was not as good as the pr he then ended up getting i don't mean pr in terms of old oh, tony mount was ringing up people but in in, in his second to last season like he scored i think over i can't remember how many goals it was but it's like in the tens like he had very very good goal scoring season but it felt like that got blown up more because people who were criticizing him and his lack of 
open player system things. Like, and it, it, it definitely most of the time it was over the top criticism. That got blown up to the point where it was like, oh god, Matt is so good. Look at these idiots; they don't know how to appreciate him. Look at Chelsea fans; they're so dumb. And in his last season at Chelsea, where everything fell apart. It was just like, yeah, Mason Mount. He did have a good season, but like he was probably their best player still because everyone at Chelsea was bad. And I think those two to- those two outlooks were so simplistic, and they missed a lot of nuance in Mason Mount. And that nuance, in my opinion, is that positionally, not necessarily in the press, but just like. Uh, more zonally, he's ve- he, he was never able to play uh, deeper in midfield. Like at Chelsea, he played well in like a front three as like floating ten. When he played in like a midfield three in a four three three, he was abhorrent. But like, he, he, he was constantly wandering off and leaving a massive gap behind him with other teams exposed. I think Tuchel tried it in the first few games of the uh, the season. He got sacked and immediately abandoned it. And that's because that was when he was trying to go for a four at the back. It, 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 like Mason Mount, when he arrived at Man United, everyone was like, oh, he'd be great. Ten Hag's going to play in midfield, like in a pivot. And my logic was, yeah, sure, if you're in a high press, that's going to be great. But what about the times you're not in a high press? Like, he's not going to be as positionally secure, defensively secure as other midfielders. And you're never going to play him with a Bruno Fernandes as a 10. And you're never going to play both them in a 4 3 3 for the problem I've outlined. And like, sure, you've got the argument, maybe he can learn to cope with it. And maybe he still will. That'll be the bit that proves me wrong. Um, but like, my argument was, at least for the majority of this season, I was not like, I would have been shocked if he would have been able to play that midfield role really well. And, I'm, and maybe there's other people like this, maybe I'm blowing up it too much. I'm not surprised. Like, the transfer so far has been a failure. No, it's an interesting uh, outlook from both of you. I think, yeah, I think Alex, your point about Mount being, or rather opinions on Mount being very polarized is still quite true. Um, but as as Warren said, him coming in definitely indicated that uh, United or Ten Hag did not want to do the short build-up thing as much as he wanted to be more direct. And that is what we have seen them do this season. But also it's been quite confusing because I, I, I think that's, we can move into the sort of tactical stuff now. Um, and throughout the season, I have been thoroughly perplexed every time I've watched Manchester United try and build out from the back. Because it's like the team on the pitch is trying to do two different things. Like at the back, you'll have Onana. Um, then for a long part of the season, they did that weird thing where a centre-back pushes up into midfield, which, by the way, is not a bad idea in itself. There's teams who do that very well. Hamburg did brilliantly. Fiorentina did quite well. But doing that with like Victor Lindelof, Harry Maguire, Johnny Evans, who's played quite often, it, it's not the best of ideas. Um and then, and then, so you you had one of the, that happening, whatever that was. You'd have Aaron Van Bissaka generally on the right, like very deep on the right, next to the box, basically. If you, you, you if you're lucky, you'd have like one midfielder, you know, Casemiro probably, or the number six, um, and then everyone else up front. Maybe if if Christian Eriksen's played, then he'll drop back to support. Uh, if it's somebody else, if it's Scott McTominay, he's at the halfway line. Um, 
so you and so, so then you've got those back four um or or five sometimes uh, pinging it around nicely between themselves but then obviously they're going to get pressed and then obviously you have to play away from the back four if you want to beat a press but there's nobody there so then you punt it long but then if you know you're going to punt it long then why did you bother even trying to set up in a short build up style like it's not press baiting because press baiting is is a completely different and there's a completely different way to do it which this clearly was not you don't put your full back in like next to the corner if you're trying to press bait so i have been perplexed by what they've been trying to do and i think the last game against newcastle was a, a prime example if you can see a pass if you can yes, rather uh, find a pass map just look at it it's like five players around the box five players at halfway a massive gap in between <laughs> and honestly like even like even a shon dice like if if you want to look at like direct build up like look at an everton pass map you know like you you see some semblance of like structure and something in there but this is just something i mean i i have no way it's, it's even more cr- just on the newcastle thing, i know Varane's got his hand up you could jump in as well with this i we all watched the game last night am i crazy for saying Manchester United, when they tried to build up against the press, they actually weren't bad. Like, early on, it felt like they were getting the ball in behind Newcastle's pressing unit. And, like, Bruno Fernandes was picking up little, like, picking up in the space, um, picking up the space there. Because Martial was staying high, so Newcastle's back line was stuck. They pressed front, um, high of all of their other players, and Bruno was, like, dropping in. Uh, Fernandes was dropping in to receive it. Like, it wasn't going bad. And then it just felt like, at some point, like half the team, as you say, including Onano, who had to kick it long, went, oh, let's just boot it long. Let's try and win aerial duels under the lights at St. James's Park in a sellout crowd. And they just lost everything. Like, did you feel the same about that, Varun? Yeah, I mean, totally. And the funny thing is, we knew that's what United were going to do before the match. I mean, the last 10 games... At least the last five, six games, uh, ten games, yeah, have clearly indicated this. Scott McTominay has been playing in midfield, and he's been taking that high number ten box crashing role, and we've been going direct. So the pass map that you're talking about, um, there are at least six or seven pass maps in the last ten games that all look similar. So I'll just add my points on the build up. I totally agree with both of you, and the way I've seen it. Uh, across like one and a half years um, is that Tenag as a and he said this as well he said this in pressers as early as last year after Brentford uh, you know the first two games that were terrible Brentford and Brighton he said this and then he followed it up with um, a few more times last year and this year as well and quote he said you don't always have to play short uh, you can also go long if the pressure is too much now that stayed with me because this is kind of symptomatic of the problem. There is a very, hey, if short buildup is not happening, feel free to go long. There is that rule, there is that caveat that Enahag has in all his matches. And that's why it changes match to match like crazy. That is why we're a little better against weaker teams. So take Copenhagen, for example, until the red card and after that things went crazy. We were building up in like a 4-2. The fullbacks were deep. Uh, the two midfielders were deeper. There was a lot of short passing. The first goal was actually one of our best goals of the season, where there was a lot of short passing. Dalot to Bruno, Bruno switched to Rashford, and then the one-two and Scott. Even Galatasaray, 
there was a short pass to amrabat short pass to uh, van bisaka antony van bisaka into scott mctominay lot of nice interlink passes and you'll find clips like that but then the moment someone presses a bit the moment the pressure increases or it's a tough team then there is that ease okay guys you can start going long and this i would say is true for ajax and united and as you said earlier ajax also had this rule i remember many games where frankie de jong or daily blind were out or it was a tough match or it was just a match where they were not getting anything and ajax would get dolberg or huntelaar or even you sebastian holler itself they would get a target man up front and they just start banging it long blind or um uh, timber or lisandro they would start going long to the target man and try and crowd that area with five people and start going into that very go direct and counter press and transition go direct counter press and transition way that was their approach when things went wrong the difference is because ajax inherently had controllers they all came from the dutch school they were all kind of playmakers they all played multiple positions um inherently the plan a of the shot build up or you know uh, when possible build up shot it happened a lot 80 90% they were in the mode of okay shot build up is possible most of the teams were weaker than them and they had really good players so they only went into the crazy okay nothing is working boot it long mode 10 20% of the times at united we've probably been in that mode 70% of the times this season in the boot long mode or start going direct mode so theoretically there is a short build up approach it can happen when united are not under pressure it can happen when they have the right players uh, all of them are fit there are arguments that if all of lisandro shaw and you know everyone was fit then we would see more of it so yeah i'm not disagreeing to any of that it's just that it it has so many caveats attached to it and there is a whole angle of you know guys when when things aren't right you can go long and things are just never right you know so we just start going long way too much and the way we were coming to the newcastle game scott mctominay is playing last few games we've been grinding results it was very obvious that's what we were going to do so not at all surprised with what happened um at the newcastle game yeah it was, it was good fun though uh, very good fun but i suppose also um is is was talking about uh you know obviously build up is part of it but i think we've also seen you know chance creation is i mean we've seen all sorts of issues we've also seen like chance creation issues in the final third so you know where would you say that's gone wrong for you yeah i mean this sounded like an interrogation by the way yeah yeah <laughs> i'll i'll just quickly touch upon it and then uh, you guys can add on if you see last year uh we were seventh for goals sixth for xg sixth for passes into final third sixth for carries into final third seventh for progressive passes sixth sixth penalty area touches attacking third touches basically you're getting where i'm going for all the underlyings of actual chance creation shot value xg entries into the third we were sixth or seventh in the league and but we came third and we had second most shots on target second chances created Uh, Rashford had 30 goals from a xg of 20 in the league that was like a massive overperformance bruno had most chances created in the premier league and 25% of our chances were created via bruno and 30% of our goals were scored via rashford so essentially 
as a team we were pretty poor at entering the final third but most of our chances and goals were bruno to rashford and getting it on target efficiently and finishing efficiently we literally survived because of that and we came third because of that so that was always a problem the approach play was always a problem because our chance creation avenues were so limited and i can name them one of them is having that really quick through ball from bruno from midfield between the center back and the full back in space another one is counter pressing when someone steals it in the middle of the park and then they quickly play two passes and um, try and get a shot a third one is after a little bit of build up like two three passes on the right side someone casemiro or bruno quickly switches to the left side to rashford and then he tries to take on the full back and put a final pass in then common thing in all of this is what are the midfielders doing playing a direct ball either they are switching or playing in behind or looking for a through ball or a long ball so essentially all your three major chance creation avenues involve the midfielders just blasting it long uh, switching or looking for a three ball or ball over the top and strikers and wingers trying last man actions like a take on a shot a, you know those kind of actions so when people say there's no retention or you know the wingers aren't passing rashford isn't why is rashford dribbling into a crowd of players why is bruno again and again giving that long ball because that's by design that's the only way we create and if you see in games where it fails tenag only wants more aggression in post matches he said rashford needs to show more aggression he needs to it will come for him when confidence comes when he gets a goal he's nev- never saying oh we should have kept the ball more or rashford should have passed back or bruno should know when to control he's not saying any of that so a chance creation is very very dependent on these uh two three short passes kind of moves if you see our pass sequence uh direct attacks we are highest in the league and passes per sequence we are amongst the lowest so it's very clear we're just going for quick direct short pass attacks there is no attempt to have longer pass sequences uh spread out a block maybe pull opponents out of their place create gaps and then pass through them you know like the way city or arsenal or any top team create we don't create like that so the chance quality is very limited there's always a ceiling to such an approach and last year we were 6 7th for most things this year we are 9th 10th for most things because it's gotten even worse so that is a big final third issue I, we don't create quality chances Alex, what have you got to say for that? Uh, I'd also say, like your individuals have had a a, a problem with individuals. I mean, Sancho <laughs> just need to say his name. Really, don't really need to explain that one. Um, Sancho being out uh, has meant Anthony is a rotating, and I don't know if you guys have seen Anthony's stats, but they've collapsed. Like. He's averaging 0.5 shots on target per 90. Like, every other time in his career, he's been averaging over 1.3. Like, his non-purpose expected goals and assists is at a career low. Like, every attacking metric's at a career low. I think that's just come down to him being so predictable in the final third. He's been here for a season now. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, you know, show him onto his, show him onto his right foot. He won't know what to do. He'll come inside on his left and pass it backwards. It's like... It, it, that's just the easiest way to counter him. So then if you don't use him, you're left with, what, Rashford, Pellistri, and Garnacho. And sure, Garnacho scores, like, the best goal this century. But 
you feels like your your wide options are very limited and like quality wise they're not on it. The like Rashford as well. I know out of possession we'll touch on him. Um but yeah, as you said, outperformed massively last season. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's also worth mentioning that on individuals, it's also obviously the impact of the environment that's clearly not very good there. I mean, yeah, Sancho is the best example, but yeah, I guess Rashford to an extent as well. They're definitely their performances are not helped by the the environment in the club and around them. So that's also worth um, considering. But uh, I guess, yeah, one final thing to say. Uh, Manchester United are currently 11th in the league on XG. Lower than Everton. Uh, Everton, by the way, very good. But yeah, I mean, as uh, you know, being in the bottom half, in terms of XG as Manchester United is far from ideal. So I think that sums that up very nicely. Now let's go on to the out-of-possession stuff. Because while there is even room for some debate in the sort of in-possession stuff about, you know, the short build-up, long build-up, what the hell do you want to do, about the maybe the personnel are missing, so that's why they're in this sort of confused flux. But I think it's safe to say that out-of-possession, they have been outright bad this season and I, th- I don't think there's any mitigating factors uh, are there Varun? No I mean I actually think uh, as you said the out of possession stuff is a lot more concerning than the in possession stuff because as we discussed the in possession stuff probably gets solved if a good one good builder player comes or maybe if Lissandro returns I mean it won't be great but it at least be average viable possible or if Rashford gets into a bit of form or Bruno starts finding his passes, we can at least get back to last year levels of 5th, 6th, you know, uh, in the table kind of levels of creation, levels of build-up. The out-of-possession stuff, though, is a big concern. And I would say here that a lot of these concerns were there at Ajax as well. Anyone who's seen Ajax did say that their rest defense or their pressing structure was a little vulnerable and they would be caught on transitions. Again, it happened less because it's Ajax in a team, in a league they dominated. And again, they had a lot of possessions. So those few occasions would be rare. It would be, you know, one goal after scoring three and they, when they would lose 3-1. Or a random one-all draw uh, once in 10 games. It just didn't happen much. At United, it happens a lot. And again, here I'd come back to the change in approach point. Because one of the big change in approaches was Ten Hag wanted to press more this year. Last year, we were largely in a mid-block. We did not have a high press. So, you kind of get, know what you're getting defensively. We had the second deepest defensive line in the league. Um, and I thought it made sense for year one. You're relying on the qualities in a deep block of Degea, Varan, Lissandro is good at it too, Van Bissaka is decent. These are guys who don't mind being in a deep block and keep clearing, keep you know box defending a lot. And then because you're in a mid-block, you also have the space behind the opposition to do the Bruno to Rashford thing. Rashford was running into a lot more space last year. Bruno had a lot of targets, whether it's Garnacho or Rashford. He had a lot of space to aim his uh, through balls into. So it was a very clear mid-block defense which goes into an attacking transition in attack. I think it was simpler. We had to evolve. But again, the nature of evolution has been wrong. Um... Tenag has added a high press element. He now wants the attackers to press high. 
and he did he quoted these numbers in a press conference as well that we are second most sky sports had this data out as well that united are first for high turn, turnovers first for possessions one in final third and he quoted this in a presser saying you know our high press is good and i think that that's a little problematic to look at it that way because one we don't have a single goal coming from a turnover we have only 20 shots coming from a turnover which is mid table and other than the fact that we want to steal the ball high and quickly transition the pressing isn't set up to defend well the intention of ten hag's high press is to counter he wants to steal and counter uh, he's excited about creating that attacking transition it's not to disrupt the opposition build up and i think here there's a big difference we don't really stop opposition from building up any decent opposition newcastle yesterday was a good example but even before this brighton spurs they play through our press very easily because the pressing structure doesn't really stop them uh it's more inclined to you know try and steal and run into space and then comes the big problem the defensive line is still super deep we are still in the bottom 3 for uh, defensive line we, we have some of the deepest defensive lines but now we have high press as well so the result is the team is very vertical i think there were some screenshots from galatasaray where the front four were like with galatasaray's front four and our back four were not even in the screen like you can't capture them on the tv screen and in between there's one person i think it was amrabat and three galatasaray players are running at him and he's alone in midfield and we had so many scenes of casemiro uh, when he was fit similar scenes so because the team is so stretched there's a huge space in midfield and this is where opponents are enjoying a lot of space and the result united have given the third most shots to opponents in the league so far only sheffield and luton have given more shots to an opponent and it's already 212 and i think 100 of them have come in the last 6 games alone these are really bad stats and if you see the nature of the shots they are good quality central shots a uh, lot of our goals have been through those cutbacks or through balls through the center why because the midfielders aren't able to recover to plug that center so i think out of possession it's been a huge mess it there's a big disjoint between a high press and a deep block there's a lot of space for opponents to play through and keep running at the defense and then you're putting pressure on the back four repeatedly and that leads to a lot of mistakes we've seen mistakes from all the defenders dalo lisandro when he was playing uh, maguire has actually been one of the good ones he's still ho- held on and not made mistakes onana we've seen lots of mistakes from onana already so he's just putting a lot of pressure casemiro amrabat all all have looked horrible in the number 6 position yes, last night mainu looked terrible he was chasing shadows all day so the whole defensive scheme is just look really bad almost any decent team can you know stay a little back let the high press come and then attack into the space behind them uh, once the high press fails which it does often so yeah that defensively really bad Yeah and you know one thing i this is something actually that came to my mind um last night watching newcastle but i, I don't know if you remember but during was it i think was it, it was actually solsia's last days or maybe even Ra- when rangnick started but uh, yeah when ronaldo was there and bruno was usually up front alongside him i remember there was a, a sort of issue where 
yeah most of the team would try to stay in a block but then bruno would go up to chase the ball like crazy and that would ruin the whole block and i do wonder i mean certainly last night there were a couple of instances when i did wonder if that was happening again because yes you know you you united do try to set out in a high press when they can but then they also do collapse into a block when it doesn't work and the mid block is also very bad by the way because the wingers don't track back they just do not it's it's very simple or at least it, it looks like that to me but the wingers just do not track back and i have failed to understand why the closest uh, explanation or remotely reasonable explanation i can get is uh, for like transition purposes to have like have a greater counter attacking threat but the trade off is clearly not worth it uh, and we i think we saw that last night as well because newcastle had an absolute field day progressing down the wings um but anyway the point i was making was that even when they were in the mid block which was yeah pretty good like at least vertically compact enough um bruno would still step out to chase and that would open everything up so i i, I you know I, i wonder if i maybe maybe you guys uh, might have noticed this or have an opinion on this but yeah i'm wondering if that is also starting to come back in their out of possession stuff and if they're cycling back to that, to, to that issue as well i mean i think it comes back to a very confused press uh because see like to add to your point take a very very high press team uh take liverpool for example obviously they have better pressers than rashford always did mane salah and even the current ones known as they 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 are better so there's a individual problem rashford has been terrible defending but there's also another thing when the attackers press the midfielders and the full backs back that press uh if you see any kind of opponent build up shape once four or five people press then there's always an outball you know to a winger or to a full back and the initial press is backed up by the um full backs or maybe a number 8 you know someone you you back the press that your attackers are doing we don't do that so lots of times when bruno rashford etc when they step up and try to press no one's following up behind because for half the team the instruction is press high and counter for the other half of the team it's no 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 go deep so go into a deep block you know because we don't want to give the opponent space and i think years where that confusion is happening lot of players look really confused especially the central players bruno casemiro uh, amrabat they look clueless they don't know which half to go with they don't know whether they are going to back back rashford marshall or they're going to shield varan maguire behind them it's like super confusing in the middle and here's where i think i mean for me the solution is simple either go back to last season where just eliminate the high press come to a mid block mid block encounter be that team or back the high press and you know push the defensive lineup onana is a good sweeper and he's been rooted to his line all year let him go up let the defensive line go up and i think ten hag is scared of doing the latter because he doesn't want his defenders isolated he thinks varan lisandro martinez maguire aren't good channel defenders they aren't good defenders of space which is a fair concern but again it's as you said the trade off you know then this not like this is working so you might as well try it and suffer a bit uh like spurs now and then suffer you know because they they do the same thing uh the other option is to drop the high press and i don't think he's willing to do that because he thinks he's getting turnovers and that is one viable 
area of chance creation, he'll lose that as well. So somewhere he has to bite the bullet. Either he has to drop the high press or drop the defensive block and make it more compact so that teams find it tougher to play through. Either compact higher up the pitch or compact lower down the pitch. Uh, that's what I think he, Ten Hag is uh, uh, stuck in. He's stuck in two modes and combined they're really bad for the team. Yeah, and you know, I think the next um, set of questions I have in this interrogation are definitely first for you, Varun. Alex, I, I do want to get your thoughts um, as well, but I first want to hear from the Manchester United fan. So, we've heard Ten Hag say that he wants Manchester United to be the best transition team in the world. Two questions about this. One, do you think that's the right way to go? And two, I mean, do you think he wants this because of the players, uh, as we've discussed? Or do you think he wants this because of some club identity thing, which he also speaks about, which he has seen somewhere? So, yeah, those are my two questions. I mean, to be fair, if you if you're talking about generating transitions, right after build up, something like his Ajax team used to do, or what Brighton does currently, those are also transitions after build up. So, I don't think it's that bad of an aim. Like uh, you've written in the text, should United even want to be the best transition team in the world? I'm, I think why not? There are good elements. For transition play, Bruno Rashford and Garnacho, uh, Hoyland, they are good elements for transition play. And I think his vision in terms of being that kind of team uh, is not bad. I think the execution and the extent to which he wants to stick to that vision, these are the main problems. To try and be a transition team without the required build-up or required progression, that is starting to look uh, it's starting to look bad as we can see because what we're doing right now is not even transitions like lumping the ball up I don't know if you, that's not a transition to be like technically on football terms that is just going long and hoping for something to stick so in his chase to become that direct team I think he's losing out on what actually makes good transitions transitions are when you move the opponent or you bait them or you have a mid-block so that they can come a little high and then you hit the space that is created. If you're not creating space, there is no transition. United are failing to create space regularly enough to even call themselves a transition team. So I don't think it's a bad aim. Um, philosophically, ideally, on paper, theoretically, I think it was fine. I think the execution is uh, is just been, been bad. What do you think, Alex? Uh, yeah, similar thoughts. I think my biggest problem with it is, sure, you, you, being the best transition team in the world sounds pretty good, but if you're not the best transition team in the world, then you're just a team that doesn't have any control of the game and isn't generating as much chances from transitions as you want, which just probably means you're losing the ball more often. If it was like, you know, if Ten Hag wanted to be the best control team in the world, like, I feel like the step down from that is like having a lot of, con- being like Luis Enrique, right? Having a lot of control and not doing much with the ball. But if it was like the step down from United winning, it, like creating artificial transitions in the right way and like winning the ball high up, like if you're not doing that to the optimum, then you're losing the ball near your own goal and going long and you're letting the opposition play through your high press. So it's like, I don't know, 
to become the best transition team in the world, you need to be it. Otherwise, you're just going to have all of the problems that we're talking about. And he hasn't got the personnel to be the best transition team in the world. It also, it, it did strike me as a bit weird. Like, Varun, you follow the club more closely. I didn't, didn't remember any of that sort of rhetoric the year before. Like, it felt like it kind of came out a little out of nowhere, just being like, yeah, we want to be the best transition team in the world. Yeah. I, I was like, uh, Again, I think it's part of the summer change in approach. I mean, there are a lot of theories to this. People are saying because you didn't get Frankie de Jong or a similar type of player, he's just gone to his Ajax second version where it's just one number six like the Edson Alvarez and the two eights press high and there's a bit more of a... The back four will deal with the progression because he didn't get the Frankie de Jong player to come into the pivot and help. So, I don't know. I mean, there is a change in approach. All the things that you're saying, these... Uh, that whole speech of I wasn't brought here to do the Ajax thing. We want to be the best transition team. That's all happened this year. None of this was there last year. So I definitely think this summer is where he's actually gone. Okay, this is my first summer window. The first set of my my ideas instead of just making do with the what I had, which is most of last year. This was the first time he went like, these are my ideas. This is what I really want to do. And on, from the evidence of it, he's really picked a wrong direction yeah and also i think you know in this discussion um like as you guys sort of alluded to it's not like you can either be the best transition team in the world or be not good at everything like transition and control you know while we frame them as two sort of opposites they aren't exactly like two ends of a spectrum or two opposites in any way because you newcastle are a good example like exactly like Exactly. You, you you can control games and also rely on transitions to create your chances and everything. Like That's very possible. Newcastle, for example, as you say, Brighton, Nice, so many teams do it. And it, it is like, it is possible to do both at the same time. But at the very least, it is possible to do at least one of those things when the other thing is not working. So if you're if you're not good at transitions, then you know, at least you can try and control. Or if you can't control, you go to transitions. But United and I, I, this would I mean I might be reading something incorrectly. Uh, obviously, I haven't followed as closely as uh, a United fan would, but this is where I think Ten Hag has gone wrong. Where he's he's just said, you know, I want to be the best transition team in the world, and I don't want anything else. Like that's the only thing I I ever want. I think that's that's where, and it's a weird one because you know, as we said at Ajax and and in all his jobs before, he was so he was really pragmatic, even more than he got credit for. And now he's just seemingly stuck on this one thing and he's refusing to budge, which is, uh, yeah, a, a very weird one. And, and yeah, another another sort of uh, brief uh, example in this regard is the centre-back issue. Because uh, as we saw again last time with Newcastle, he played Luke Shaw at left centre-back because and then Diego Dalla at left-back as a result because he wants a left-footed left centre-back. And that's like one of his... I don't know, his dying principles or something, which is all good to have, like when you are actually building out nicely and everything. But like when you're going to go long anyway, how does it matter if it's a left footer kicking it long or if it's a right footer kicking it long? Like it's better if you have, you know, actual center backs in center back positions and a left back on the left and a right back on the right, surely. But yeah, like uh, before this, Tan Hag always seemed the sort of guy who would understand like the point where he should maybe let go of or at least modify his principles 
to get the best out of what he has available but right now he seems to have completely lost sight of that uh, any thoughts varun yeah i mean it's a really weird one it's as you said for some things he's like super strict or super no this has to be this way uh and for other things he's very adjusting and flexible like for the build up for example he's very okay with oh you can go long if short build up isn't working but apparently the left center back having a decent left foot is very very key to our build up and our transition defending both of which have been terrible anyway and here's where i start having an issue i i'm okay when it's lisandro martinez yes lisandro martinez left center back left foot brilliant build up player decent at defending transitions on the left side okay he's not a great channel defender but you get the logic left foot left foot left side look sure to an extent i get it again a good build up player he is physical he can cover distances in the transition as a wide left center back fine but now when you come down to johnny evans and victor lindelof and they are the ones starting at left center back over rafael varane or harry maguire that's where it starts to get get a little confusing those two players aren't super progressive lindelof you know perceptive perception says that he is but he's actually not a very progressive player evans also isn't much they're not really two footed they're probably as two footed rafael varan he's who's also very two footed harry maguire has a whole career of progressing really well from the left side i still think he's a better progressor from the left side because he gets that left to right out to in angle to carry and pass so i think he's he's actually better on the left so ignoring that potential of a harry maguire rafael varan partnership where maguire is on the left varan's on the right both of them where they like it in possession it suits both of them out of possession maybe you're taking a slight hit on harry maguire not being a good uh left foot first transition defender but that's a really small thing so to ignore that for this uh left two footed center back fetish where lindelof and evans are now competing for left center back after lisandro and shaw but harry maguire and rafael varane have to compete for right center back and only one of them can play at a given time this absolute rule that he has created last year varan played right center back this year maguire is playing right center back they cannot coexist in a team i think this rule has gone gone to the point of completely unnecessary and self uh, self destroying yeah it's yeah it's, it's been really really confusing um and i think for the interest of time um our next point was supposed to be i think alex had something to note about you know contrasting united versus what Tottenham Hotspur are doing under Ange Postecoglou um but since we are already approaching an hour why don't we delve straight into the, the real the, the the crowning jewel of this episode which is Varun's speech uh, on philosophy or no Varun's philosophy speech as he called it um so Alex uh, apologies but uh, listeners if you want to get an idea of what he's trying to say probably go listen to our very first episode that the three of us did which was uh, and about Anton Spurs even before uh, they started playing competitively but i think we got that pretty spot on so well done to us um but yes let us now waste no more time and hear from varun uh, about philosophy or something like that this better be no, the philosophy i'm thinking about and not like managerial philosophy because i'll be disappointed 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, and it also kind of delves into what you say. I mean, why were me, you, and Alex able to lay out Ange Postecoglou's playing philosophy so well in preseason before Harry Kane had even been sold? We got a lot of things right that hey, you know what? They can sell Harry Kane. They can move Son to striker. Then they just need to buy a winger. They probably need to buy a good left centre back. Uh, uh, destroyer kind of channel defender and they did all of that they bought Vicky van der Ven, they bought a winger they shifted son to striker uh, one of our um, punts on Kulusevsky being a 8 is still yet to happen but then we got a lot of things right and there's a reason for that because Ange's philosophy is very clear and this is where I'm coming with Ten Hag what would you describe in one line as Ten Hag's philosophy? I mean, I'll just put it to you guys, uh, both of you. In one line, if you had to sum up Ten Hag's philosophy, what would you say? Alex, can you go first? Um, do you know the graph that Alex Collins made? Which one? No, 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 yeah, that that is how I would describe his philosophy. <laughs> uh, I think yeah, I think that's a bit harsh. I think yeah, I think that's what's happened at United. Like that is the outcome. But I don't think that's what um, Ten Hag's philosophy or like idea or approach is supposed to be. I would call Ten Hag um, uh, a principled pragmatist, if I may. So to to, to explain that, what I'm saying is he has his principles. But like, as I said before, he, he, or at least up till now, he understood that there was a point where if it's not working, you've got to change and you've got to fall back on whatever, you know, have a plan B basically. And you have to be willing enough to use that plan B when need be. But, you know, as we've discussed now, at this point, it's either he will die by his plan A or he will just do plan B all the time. But there's no in between right now, which is the problem to me. But yeah, I think... That that's what his um, I would call his approach. Um, I like your answer, and let me add on to that. When Alex, he doesn't like your answer. <laughs> Alex's answer is true. It is undeniable. That is what it has <laughs> become. So you're both right. Uh, but philosophically speaking, I mean, when first team players are out, you actually get to see what a manager's philosophy is. And in our case, when Martinez went out or Shaw went out uh, or even Casemiro and in previous uh, in the previous year other players Ericsson when he was injured there was not just a drop in quality which is to be expected no one saying all the players are the same but there's a complete drop in structure and tactical intent without Lisandro, we are not passing short uh, without X player we are not doing Y and that means the tactical intent is very dependent on player quality. Uh, there is a huge dependence on player power. Frankie de Jong had a lot of responsibility in build-up attacks. Daily Blind had a lot of responsibility. Four of the best progressors in Europe formed the backline at Ajax and that is why they were a very build-up oriented progressive team. It's not because Ten Hag wanted to do it and they just did what he said. No. The players drove it. Which brings me to the point that the players are driving what he can do. Take his midfield, for example. He was okay getting Casemiro. He was 
okay getting mount and he was okay getting ericsson none of them are really controllers none of them are deep lying playmakers there's always been a sense of it's fine if you give me quality i'll adjust the midfield accordingly even his two ajax teams are different that way he lost frankie de jong but he got it's an alvarez and two high eights and he just went like okay now i'll play a 433 with two high eights he is just adjusting he's like whatever my players have i'll adjust to that so which is why i would define his philosophy as do whatever it takes to win it's as simple as that and that kind of is what neil was saying the principle pragmatist thing um he'll do whatever it takes and it's as simple as that which then brings us to the point that how how does this kind of philosophy have a great ceiling so this is very different from by the way ange ange is like or deserby they are like the opposite end of the spectrum i'd probably put someone like pep guardiola or klopp a little more in between or a little more towards the having a, a strong core philosophy but ange and deserby are the other extreme they'd rather lose games then play in a different way and ange is currently losing games uh, because of that drop in quality but he knows once players are back or once he gets his transfers that will become better deserby knows he's taken the kaisedo mcallister hit but he'll still keep playing the same way and he'll ra- he'd rather lose games for it they're just so married to i want to play this way and the moment the day one they come they want to play that way and tanags the completely completely opposite extreme so the solution there isn't a solution as such uh such era defining philosophies don't crop up overnight and ags not going to come up with one randomly in a major crisis at manchester united when he never had one in the first place so we'll have to start understanding a few things one is united's game plan approach will fluctuate wildly based on if they're playing an easy team or a tough team that is why you'll always have these tough away losses big teams will pound you second you will be very reliant on player quality which comes back to recruitment the problem in having such a flexible philosophy is united as a club also have a very flexible philosophy they also have hired ten hag saying okay do what you want to win ten hag also has a do what it takes to win philosophy so the whole structure lacks something coherent to build towards are we a pressing team are we a counter team everyone is just yeah okay whatever it takes just get the best player and try to get the best tactic running with those best players so the whole structure is functioning that way so i for ten hag to be successful recruitment will really have to be successful he'll have to get strong players and then he'll figure out what he wants to do with those players so that is i think a big problem for ten hag in general uh, wherever he goes i mean if he stays here and does well okay if he gets sacked go somewhere else i think him not having a very strong philosophy that i am a pressing manager or i am a build up manager or i am a whatever you know him not having those 1 2 3 golden rules of ten hag that the team has to abide by regardless of what and i will pick players according to that i will make transfers according to that him not having that uh, policy gives all of his ceiling teams a big ceiling and limits him having the top team success i mean we've seen how top teams have got success guardiola is one example klopp is the second arteta the philosophy comes first then the recruitment backs it and if both are good you get to that level at united sadly both are bad so yeah that's the summary of the philosophy speech so zidane replacing tenor could you think guys <laughs> no but you know on a serious note i was actually going to say that those great stuff and i agree with everything you said Warren, except the last bit you said while it is true that in most cases at top teams um you know the it's been like philosophy first to group and back up that's not like the only way to do it right 
and real madrid obviously a great example madrid are a very good example so in my in so, the thread yeah, it, i had written on philosophy i had said at best if tenag does achieve success it will be like ancelotti and zidane at real madrid where recruitment was so good that you know the quality the recruitment quality was so good that they could uh, work with the players and just focus on getting the best out of their players and tactics that suit them yeah and i think that's that's possible still for manchester united in terms of like obviously they're doing very badly but because they are manchester united they can still attract that level of player what's stopping them right now is that their whatever their recruitment processes and the whatever they have like their scouting department uh, recruitment department all of that is not doing its job very well but you know like real madrid can basically get almost anyone they want like a jude bellingham manchester united even after 10 years of messing about they still have a really really high you know st- status and profile that you know if you set everything else right you can still do that so yeah that's that's the that's the interesting i mean that's the sort of in the internal debate i'm stuck on because we briefly mentioned this before we started recording but obviously our final question is what do you do now um because well let's be honest for a club like manchester united not uh, making it out of your champions league group regardless of whatever mitigating factors you want to bring in is a sackable offense in the sense that you can sack the manager and have good justification for doing it so the question is should you do that and if you do that um where do you go from there what are your thoughts uh i'd say that there's i would do it but there's no one really to take over that makes sense so like it, it, i i think again we mentioned Aaron and Case before i think Case did it very well on their podcast which was you could pun it would make it'd be justified to punish ten hag by sacking him but it wouldn't make sense to the future of the club right now yeah that that's fair i think Varun your opinion is somewhere along those lines as well yeah i i kind of agree and my point is the eventual fix now is for the new ownership a new director of football a new board to pick their manager that is the event. and by the way that can still be ten hag if whatever a few months down the line if they think no we still want to stick with ten hag that's fine <coughs> sorry but i think the real fix is now get the they get that alignment from the top the vision how to play and which manager suits that and if that means just keep ten hag for however long as you can then so be it i don't mind him staying for 3 4 months if he can keep getting passable results or maybe get an interim if things get really bad get an interim in jan and see out the season <coughs> so i'm assuming the new ownership and the director of football and all of that get set up somewhere in the second half of the season and by summer we'll probably have the first window under the new new owners so I think that's the eventual solution. Uh, the the new ownership has to decide the manager that they want, and it doesn't matter who that is, or what kind of playing style they have. But if everyone is aligned and recruitment happens according to that, then maybe United can get you know reach the heights that they are supposed to, given their brand, given their resources. Yeah, and very final question on that. Let's say you are the the new owner or suddenly the new decision maker. um what would you do 
uh, right now and in the summer i'd keep ten hag for as long as the players don't fall out with him and judging by how things have gone ten hag has actually scrapped a lot of bad games or bad situations so i think he can do this a while longer i mean even if he exit the champions league i don't think that's a big deal uh even if he lose liverpool away final or something that's fine then as long as we beat burnham out and palace or whoever comes next somehow 1-0 or 2-1 think ten hag can you can drag ten hag for a while so i'd probably just keep him um but then yeah i'd probably have a sit down with ten hag and say dude how do you want to play uh what you've shown right now has just been way to hit and miss what is your ideal vision and what recruitment do you want for it and if they align on it if they also feel is this the way to play then ten hag stays and you give him summer uh, 24 uh, again and recruit properly this time uh, sell and buy properly and go for it again and if that doesn't align then probably sack him and get a manager yeah, but, who aligns but, but, uh, my question was um what if you are the one deciding what that philosophy should be so like your point of if it aligns doesn't matter because does it align with what you want does that make I sense i don't know I mean, yeah I, i get what you mean but i personally don't actually care i mean the whole man united way is just up in the air i mean we have played every sort of way ferguson did everything in the book from possession football to complete long ball kitchen sink tactics Van Gaal was one extreme. Mourinho was another extreme. David Moyes is a whole different dimension. So I mean, we've done everything, and honestly, at this point, I don't think we have any. Uh, I don't think there's any Man United way. There's just whatever way. At least stick to it and recruit as per it. That that's the that's the only way to win. So I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind getting any good. Even Ten Hag itself. If I was in front of Ten Hag, I actually like Ten Hag. So let me be clear. I have so many issues with him. I'd probably sit down and say, "Dude, what is your problem? <laughs> like, what do you want <laughs> to do? Tell me your ideal vision and stick to it. Then no going back on it. No dropping build up if that's what you decide is your plan A. And I'll probably judge him that way because you have to judge a manager on progress. You have to. Ju- The problem with this year is there's been no gameplay progress. I mean, there's nothing which Ten Hag can come and say we are great at X. So I'd probably ask him that, dude. What do you want to be great at? What do you want this Man United to be known for? And then let's judge progress according to that. I'd probably still stick to Ten Hag if you were asking my opinion, and I tell him, but you got to stick to one thing, and we have to see progress for that. And then if you do that, we'll get recruitment accordingly. Yeah, but then he has said he wants them to be the best at transitions. So he's not not doing that. I mean, yeah, none but of he our has said play, that. Yeah. So. You know, it's not looking good for him. <laughs> it's not looking good for him at all. Yeah. Well, I think that rounds us off nicely, unless Alex, you have something to add. Um, but uh, he doesn't. <laughs> so I mean, it takes up what you're gonna ask him, and then you went. He doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I was just wondering if you had anything to add after you know, Varun's great speeches no, and answers anything. I think Varun summed it up very well, and um. Yeah, I, I guess like you know, we haven't got much time for it, so I won't expand on too much. But I think this is why people are looking at Postecoglou in a better light. He's going to play the way he wants to, no matter what. Whereas Ten Hag wants to win, no matter what. See, so he'll change things up. So inevitably, if Tottenham lose, you go, well, Postecoglou wants to play his way. It's just the players aren't good enough. Whereas if United lose, 
I don't know what Ten Hag is trying to do. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. It's true. Because if, if your whole uh, your whole approach is based on winning and then you don't win, then you have nowhere to go. So, yeah, I suppose ultimately maybe that is the fundamental uh, issue that Ten Hag and United are facing. They're not winning football matches. Yeah. Thanks for listening yep, to the Get the... Football Tactics <laughs> podcast. One hour and 12 minutes of your life to hear. <laughs> the problem with Manchester United is that they don't win football matches. Uh, you know, thank you very much. Thanks, guys, for your time. This, this was very insightful. I think we can. I think we can pack it up now. We can probably end football podcasting uh, with this. Uh, so there we have it. Th- that that's gonna cover everything we have said so far, and everything we will ever say. But I suppose we do have. Uh, uh, I mean, we do have a podcast to run for ourselves. So you know, we'll keep going. But so yeah, to get uh, you know more incredible insight really cutting edge insight like this uh, do do follow the get football tactics podcast and of course us on twitter you can find me at shelat neil varun at the devil's dna a lovely follow at times like this especially um and alex at euro expert underscore and of course if you go to the at get football eu page you will find all the various uh, league and country specific accounts we have so you can take a look at those if you want to be updated across the world of football with all the latest news insights analysis all sorts of stuff you can also find all that linked um, in the description or notes of this episode depending on where you're listening and if your app allows it please do rate the podcast as well i mean come on look Warren's he's he's tortured himself for the best part of uh, an hour and a quarter Uh, so please do give him a five star uh, for his efforts thank you Warren, and apologies um and yeah of course feel free to share if you enjoyed it as well but in any case thank you very much for listening uh, big thanks to varun especially uh, and alex of course we'll catch you around next week with maybe a less uh, traumatic episode for varun uh, perhaps slightly less enjoyable for us as well but there's trade-offs every time uh, but yeah until then uh, take care and goodbye